Thank you for listening to student programming on WMLU Farmville 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. If you are interested in more information about our student programming, you can check out our website at www.wmlu.org under the Schedule and Extra Content tab. To keep up with WMLU events, follow our Twitter and Instagram at WMLU Radio or our WMLU Radio Facebook page. If you are interested in becoming a radio DJ or a member of WMLU, Join our organization's Lancerlink page to begin receiving emails regarding our weekly Zoom meetings on Mondays at 9.30 p.m. WMLU also provides DJ services and promotion of community events and Longwood organizations through public service announcements. More information can be found on our website. Thank you for listening and supporting our station. Now back to more student programming. WMLU 91.3 FM is proud to have brought you the preceding segment of WMRA's programming of NPR, Please stay tuned for student programming. For information about shows and times, please check the web at www.wmlu.org. The statements, views, and opinions contained on this radio show are those of the DJs and are not endorsed by, nor do they reflect the opinions of WMLU, WMRA, or Longwood University. You're currently listening to WMLU Student Programming. For the latest on news and weather and NPR programming, head to WMRA.org. For on-campus and community news, we encourage you to head to the Rotunda Online, home of Longwood University News. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You're listening to WMLU Farmville 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of The Red Zone. As always, it is your host, Nick Robinson, and we have a lot to get to today. We have, of course, Longwood Sports, the latest news in national sports. The MLB season is starting to wind down. The college football season kicked off last weekend. The NFL season's kicking off this weekend. And... The 20th anniversary of 9-11 is tomorrow. All that and more coming up on today's episode of The Red Zone. That, as always, was serious by the Alan Parsons Project. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the meat of today's show. And we're going to start off, as always, with Longwood Sports. And kicking off our Longwood Sports segment. We have the men's soccer team, who is coming off of a 2-0 loss to Army last Sunday. 
and they will take on American University tomorrow night at 7 over on the Blue Turf Field. So go check them out, and there will be a special tribute before the game for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The field hockey team is coming off their first win of the season and a 2-0 win over Towson last Friday. The goals were scored by Anna Paula Lazaro in the 21st minute and Luna Lopez in the 28th minute. The team looks to continue their winning streak tonight at Old Dominion. For results of the game, go to longwoodlancers.com. Women's soccer is coming off back-to-back scoreless ties last Sunday against Western Carolina, and the second one was last night against UMBC. And we'll see if somebody can score this Sunday when they travel to Liberty. That concludes the Longwood Sports segment. For the latest on Longwood Sports news, when you're not listening to the Red Zone, go to longwoodlancers.com. And now we will transition over to national sports. And we'll start off with some MLB scores from last night. The St. Louis Cardinals defeated the L.A. Dodgers 2-1. The Oakland A's defeated the Chicago White Sox 3-1. The Cleveland Indians defeated the Minnesota Twins 4-1. They won't be the Indians for long. They announced over the summer that they'd be changing their name to the Cleveland Guardians, but I don't see why Washington can't do that, why Washington it's taking them two full seasons to change their name from the Washington, like, from the Redskins to something else. They had you, you don't see the Cleveland Indians playing two seasons as the Cleveland baseball team. They changed right to the Guardians. All I gotta, all I gotta say is Washington's new name better be good. It better be worth two years. Wait. The Miami Marlins defeated the New York Mets three to two. The Colorado Rockies defeated the Philadelphia Phillies four to three. Kansas City Royals defeated the Baltimore Orioles six to nothing. The Toronto Blue Jays defeated the New York Yankees 6-4, and the Atlanta Braves defeated the Washington Nationals 7-6 in extra innings. And getting a current update on the MLB playoff picture. Currently, the Rays lead the AL East. The White Sox lead the AL Central. The Astros lead the AL West. The Braves lead the NL East. The Brewers lead the NL Central, and the Giants lead the NL West. And currently, the wild card positions in both leagues are as follows. The AL wild card spots are currently held by the bitter rivals, Red Sox and Yankees. And the NL wild card spots are currently held by the Dodgers and Padres. But the Dodgers and the Giants are currently jostling for first place in the NL West. So we'll see how that turns out as. This is the final month of the regular season in the MLB. And so we'll see how it all works out come playoff time. We now transition over from the MLB to college football, which kicked off last weekend. Some big matchups. I did not do so well in my predictions. I remember I predicted that Wisconsin would beat Penn State. That didn't happen. I said Louisiana would beat Texas. That didn't happen. I think the only one I was right on was Alabama and Miami. And I had a few takeaways from week one of college football last week. 
Uh, UNC, Clemson, and Oklahoma were all disappointing. Georgia made a statement, and Alabama was Alabama. And now let me give a little context to all that. Uh, UNC was disappointing because they were the number 10 team in the country, and they walked into Lane Stadium and got thoroughly outplayed by the Virginia Tech Hokies. I don't know if it was either Virginia Tech is just a really good team this year or UNC doesn't have their crap together yet in week one. But still, bad loss, especially for UNC quarterback Sam Howell. He was a Heisman hopeful. A lot of talk about him being the number one pick in the 2022 draft. He looked horrendous against the Hokies. He looked absolutely terrible. Threw a couple picks and one boneheaded pass at the end that cost UNC the game. And it was pandemonium in Blacksburg. I could hear Enter Sandman playing from all the way here in Farmville. It was absolutely crazy last Friday. But yeah, bad loss for UNC. That really damages their hopes that they had of making the college football playoff. Now, if UNC wants to make the college football playoff, I think they have to win out. They got to win out. Like, before the season, I was thinking, UNC might have a chance if they go undefeated in the regular season and then lose a close game to Clemson in the ACC championship game. Then they still might make it in. But no, now they have no room for error. Now they have to win out. They have to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game, which might not be that hard, judging by what we saw from Clemson last week. But we'll talk about that in just a second. And UNC's got to win out if they want to have any hope of making the playoff and living up to the expectations that they had going into the season. But um, their mulligan is now gone, using uh, golf terminology. And we'll see what happens for the rest of the season with the Tar Heels. Speaking of the Clemson Tigers, they were the next disappointment of last week. The mighty Clemson Tigers, the team that has been known since Dabo Sweeney got there for having explosive, an explosive offense, put up three points. They actually gave up more points than they scored because the only touchdown of Clemson's 10-3 loss to Georgia was scored on a pick six by the Dogs. Clemson only put up three points on the board, and DJ Uyangalale looked really bad, which was a shock to me because he looked good in the two games that he played in last year when Trevor Lawrence had COVID against Boston College and Notre Dame, but wow, DJ Uyonglele looked horrible. He looked almost as bad as Sam Howell did. Now, I don't know if Georgia just has an insane defense that might come to light throughout the season, or if it was just first-game jitters for DJ Uyonglele and Clemson. I mean, they weren't just replacing Trevor Lawrence. They were replacing Amari Rogers in the receiving game. They were replacing Travis Etienne. In the running game, like the all-time leading rusher in ACC history, they also were missed. They also had to replace some dudes on defense. But hey, I'm not gonna throw Clemson any bones here. Every team has to do that every year. They have to replace people. So I'm not gonna be like, oh no, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence anymore. Poor them. No, DJ Uyongle is a solid quarterback who just played like horse manure against Georgia, or maybe Georgia's defense made him look like horse manure. But we will see what happens as the season goes on. The other disappointment of last weekend was the Oklahoma Sooners. They were playing against the Tulane Green Wave. They played them in Norman. They were going to play them in Tulane because of Hurricane Ida. They had to move the game to Norman. And Oklahoma was nice enough to paint Tulane's logos on the field, on their field, 
to make the green wave feel a little bit at home. And they extended their generosity to the actual game when their defense that had been hyped up all season generously gifted the Tulane Green Wave 35 points and the Sooners only beat Tulane by five. That is a total embarrassment for the Oklahoma Sooners because Tulane is a team that they should have beaten the absolute tar out of. They should have won that game like 56 to 12. Like that should, Oklahoma has no business, especially considering they were ranked number two in the country going into that game. Oklahoma has no business being in a game that close with Tulane. Like, Tulane might be good in their own conference, but Tulane should not have a puncher's chance against the Oklahoma Sooners, but the Sooners gave them one. And the Sooners were able to pull it out on the end, at, in the end and keep it from being a total embarrassment like Clemson and UNC. But, wow, Oklahoma's got a lot of stuff to work on. Um... I'm not sure who they play this week. I think it's an FCS team, so they'll have a chance to work that out before they start getting into the thick of their conference schedule. But man, and Spencer Rattler, everybody was hyping up Spencer Rattler as a Heisman Trophy front runner, but he didn't look that good either. I mean, like right now, if I had to give the Heisman Trophy to somebody, it would be Alabama quarterback Bryce Young because he looked insane against Miami. I guess that that leads us into the Bama was Bama thing about last weekend. Um, Alabama did exactly what they, I expect them to do, and they beat the living tar out of the Miami Hurricanes. wasn't even close. Bryce Young looked just as good as Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones, and Alabama just carved the Hurricanes alive, just how I expected. And the other takeaway that I have from last weekend was Georgia made a statement. Now I've done enough ragging on Clemson for their poor performance against the Bulldogs. Now I'm going to give the Bulldogs, I'm going to do the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm going to give the Bulldogs some credit because, wow, that defense made an offense, a Clemson offense that is historically under Dabo Sweeney, been electric, and they made Clemson's offense come to a screeching halt. I mean, Georgia's offense wasn't that much better because they also only scored three points, but they got help from their defense with that pick six. And that ended up being the deciding score when Georgia won 10-3. But wow, Georgia came out and made a statement on opening night. And, you know, they're playing UAB this week, so that's not as big of a game, obviously. They're probably going to walk all over UAB. But wow, that was a statement. I remember I was at the UVA game against William & Mary last week, and I kept checking my phone because I wanted to check up on the Clemson-Georgia game. It was a top-five matchup, and I saw it was, like, such low scoring. Like, all throughout the game, like, What? I'd think, in these, I'd think these two teams would be trading touchdown passes like they were Pokemon cards, like just back and forth, back and forth. But no, it was a very close defensive game. And that was a shock to me. And maybe Georgia's defense is for real. And if, and if Georgia's defense is for real, if they can make Clemson look like that, they're national championship contenders. Put them in the playoff right now and put them as contenders for the SEC title. But still... I mean, I'd say right now the SEC would get two teams in, Alabama and Georgia. I can see both making the playoff, at least after week one. We'll have to see how it all shapes out going into going into the rest of the season, but those are just my takeaways from week one of college football. We'll be back with the Red Zone for my week two college football playoff predictions after a quick public service announcement. 
freedom, confidence, and mobility. They are trusted friends that offer new opportunities for social interaction and greater independence. Guide Dogs of America is a nonprofit organization that provides these loyal and loving dogs free of charge to people who are blind or visually impaired. To learn more about Guide Dogs of America, visit our website at guidedogsofamerica.org or call us at 800-459-4843. Welcome back to the Red Zone, ladies and gentlemen. This is Nick Robinson, and you're listening to WMLU 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. All right, we talked enough about last week. Let's dive into this week in college football. And we're, there's two ranked-on-ranked matchups. I usually, that's what I cover every week is the ranked-on-ranked games. But here's the two that are going on this week. First off... At 12 o'clock on Fox, we have number 12, Oregon, taking on number 3, Ohio State. Uh, both teams were pretty underwhelming in Week 1, but at least Ohio State pulled away late, and it was against the team in their conference. Uh, Oregon only beat Fresno State by 7, and I'm not confident in Anthony Brown, Oregon starting QB. I think he's more of a game manager, and you need more than a game manager to beat the Buckeyes in Columbus. And also, West Coast teams really don't do well outside of the West Coast, especially in early on, like Oregon. Tomorrow's game is a 12 o'clock kickoff. It's 11 o'clock Central Time, and it's going to feel like nine. It's going to feel like they're playing a game at 9 a.m. for the Oregon Ducks. And I would not want to wake just wake up and play a football game at 9 a.m. in front of all those people. So then that's, that's, that's what it's going to feel like for the Ducks. And their defensive stud, Kayvon Thibodeau, who is a likely top five pick in the 2022 draft, might end up being the number one pick if he has a good enough season. Um, Ducks coach Mario Cristobal said that Thibodeau would play, but Thibodeau's not going to be 100%, and the Ducks need Kayvon Thibodeau at 100% to even have a prayer against Ohio State. Now, Ohio State's not invincible. They showed plenty of loopholes, especially in the running game against Minnesota last week. Like Minnesota running back Muhammad Ibrahim just ate the Buckeyes' defense alive. And so if Oregon can get something going on the ground, maybe they can exploit Ohio State's weak run defense. And if Kayvon Thibodeau can get some pressure on Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud and just his second career start, make him make a few mistakes then maybe Oregon can pull the upset. But I just think there's too much working against Oregon for them to pull off the upset in Columbus tomorrow. My final score prediction, I predict Ohio State wins 35-20. to And next up, we got our second ranked-on-ranked matchup. We got number 10, Iowa, taking on number 9, Ohio State, at 3.30 tomorrow on ABC. This is the first time in the history of the, uh, of the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry that both teams have been ranked. Um, since we only have one game of previous context to go off of, Iowa State barely beat Northern Iowa last week and only scored 16 points against them. And they beat Northern Iowa 16-10. to 10. And this is the same team that a lot of people were predicting would win the Big 12 this season. Meanwhile, Iowa absolutely took it to a ranked Indiana team last week. I remember I predicted that Indiana would actually win that game, but another 
prediction I was wrong on, and Iowa just demolished the Hoosiers 34-6. to We obviously don't have much of a sample size on these teams, so that's going to cause me to go off of what I see right now. And what I see right now is Iowa State struggling to beat an FCS team and Iowa destroying a ranked conference opponent. And I think Iowa will ride the momentum of that win, even though Iowa State might be the favorite to win the Big 12 this season. And I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes to pull the upset on the road at Iowa State because, you know, I don't know how you can go as Iowa State from barely beating Northern Iowa last week to beating an Iowa team that's riding a lot of momentum after a huge win against Indiana last week. So I'm going to take the Hawkeyes in a close one, 24-20. I don't expect the scoreboard to be lit up here. That's why I said, you know, 24-20. Iowa's defense smothered the Hoosiers, and I think they'll, they're not going to hold the, the Cyclones to six points like they did Indiana, but they'll hold them to 20, and that'll be enough for Iowa's offense to pull ahead. And... Next week, previewing next week in college football, we the only ranked-on-ranked game that I can think off the top of my head that we'll be talking about next week is um, Alabama and Florida, which that'll be good. We'll talk about that next week, though. And I mentioned Iowa State is the favorite this year to win the Big 12 Conference. Speaking of the Big 12, though, we also got some news um, pretty much every notable news outlet released a story in the middle of this week that the Big 12 is getting four new teams that will all be in the conference by 2024. They will be getting BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. BYU is currently an independent. Um, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are currently all in the American Athletic Conference. And that makes sense for these schools to join the Big 12 to get their name out there, you know, Cincinnati, especially as a team this year that is trying to make a college football playoff push, they're not going to get there probably as a member of the American Athletic Conference unless they absolutely dominate and win games against like Notre Dame and whoever else they play. I know they play a few good out-of-conference games, but being in the Big 12 will certainly help Cincinnati's chances. Now, the Big 12 is, you've been following sports this past summer, the Big 12 is in need of some new faces given that Texas and Oklahoma will be leaving to join the SEC by 2025. So over the next couple of years, college football is going to get real interesting. Or may, or in a few years, when 2024 and 2025 come, college football is going to get real interesting because you're going to see Oklahoma and Texas playing in the SEC. You're going to see BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF all in the American Athletic Conference. So stuff is about to get crazy there. And my personal opinion on... Um, on this conference realignment thing, and then you heard the talks that the ACC, Big Tw Big Ten, and Pac-12 might all merge, and then the Pac-12 backed out of that, and I haven't heard anything since. My personal opinion on that is it's, it, it's kind of good for college football because, you know, all these teams are getting put in bigger conference. The conferences are getting bigger. More teams are getting a chance to win those conferences. Um, the college football playoff will also be expanding. I'm not, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think college football is changing really fast right now. Like It went from being the same for a long time, and now it's just 
rapid overhaul, massive sweeping changes that are all happening so fast in the college football world. You know, when I first heard the news about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, I thought it was fake. Like, I saw that, and I said, fake news. Like, there's no way that Texas and Oklahoma would be leaving the Big 12 after their premier members of the Big 12. But money talks, and that's exactly why Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC, is money. And I was a shock. I was in shock to find out that that was real, and... Then when I heard the news about, you know, those four teams joining the Big 12, I was like, well, once Texas and uh, Oklahoma happened, them joining the SEC, that just opened the floodgates for everything else. It's like nothing really surprising me. I mean, the ACC, the Big 10 and Pac-12 merger, that was like, I was like, whoa, 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 like, what are are you doing? How's that even going to work? How are are three huge conferences going to merge? And how are like how are you going to have teams on literally with the Pac-12 and the ACC teams literally on the East Coast and the West Coast in the same conference? Like I, I'm kind of glad that whole thing fell through because I have no idea how that possibly would have worked out. But this is what college football is becoming, and you also had the NIL thing. Like college football has changed a lot in the last six months. Now these league changes aren't going to happen for a few years. But the announcements that the leagues would be changing all happened in the last six months with the NIL stuff, with the talk of possibly expanding the college football playoff. And as a college football fan, like my head is spinning right now, but I can't really point to a point of criticism because, you know, it's like, well, it's not that terrible of a thing. Like, I I want to see how this works out, but... It's all just changing so fast, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. I'm sure all college football fans are trying to wrap their heads around what's what's going on. But I think it's going to be messy at first, but it'll work itself out, and college football is going to be better for it. And that concludes our college football segment. We will now transition over to the NFL and... That brings us to this week's Red Zone poll. On my Instagram, I released a poll this week asking my followers, what was the biggest story in the NFL going into week one? Was it Dak Prescott's return from his devastating ankle injury, or was it Sam Darnold playing against his former team when the Panthers play the Jets this weekend? And here are the results of my Red Zone poll. 69% said that Dak's return was the biggest story this weekend, and 31% said that Sam Darnold versus his old team was the biggest story this weekend. And I think the Sam Darnold thing would be more interesting if Sam Darnold was more notable of a player, like if he was a bigger name. Like if it, if it was like, if it was what we're going to see in week four with the Bucks playing the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady playing against his old team, no, that's... That's front-page stuff, but Sam Darnold, you know, a quarterback who's not even really top 15 in the NFL, playing against his old team, which was a dumpster fire of an organization, is more like page two or three type stuff. Now, maybe Sam Darnold was just bad because he was on the Jets. Like, I can't think of a single quarterback other than Mark Sanchez for two for just two years 
who was good on the Jets. Like, I know Joe Namath back in the day, but, like, that was literally, like, 50, 60 years ago. That was a long time ago when the Jets had Joe Namath. And even then, he wasn't that good. Joe Namath, I believe, is the most overrated quarterback of all time because he gets a lot of hype for predicting that the Jets would win that Super Bowl. And his career numbers weren't even really that great. But by Jet standards, Joe Namath was a legend. Because, I mean, they've had like quarterbacks like Vinny Testaverde, Chad Pennington, Mark Sanchez for two years. Like the Jets have never really had. They had like Boomer Esiason like towards the end of his career. The Jets never really had like that elite franchise quarterback that would lead them to glory. They're hoping that Zach Wilson will buck the trend, but still way the heck too early to predict that. But I do agree with the 69% that said Dak's return was the biggest story of the weekend. And we will talk about Dak's return and the rest of NFL Week 1 after some news and weather. Programming. For the latest on news and weather and NPR programming, head to WMRA.org. For on-campus and community news, we encourage you to head to the Rotunda Online, home of Longwood University News. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And welcome back to the Red Zone, everybody. And now we're going to dive into NFL Week 1. The 2021 NFL season kicked off last night with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys taking on Tom Brady and the defending champion Bucks. Um, once again, primetime television has an obsession with the Cowboys. They're always on primetime. But they actually made it worth everyone's watch. Last night, they went back and forth and back and forth. They went toe-to-toe with the defending champion Buccaneers. And they had the lead over them several times. Amari Cooper had a great game, I know, because I started him in fantasy and he got me 32 points. So I am dunking all over my peer mentor coach, Dr. Ross, right now, at least at the moment, in fantasy. But, And I thought for a minute the Cowboys were going to win. And I was thinking, don't... Like, I picked Tampa Bay. I wanted Tampa Bay to win. But I was just thinking, don't you dare lose to the Cowboys because I am not going to listen to the insufferable Cowboys fans going, oh, we beat the defending champs. We're going to win the whole thing. We them boys after beating Tamp- after beating the Bucks in week one. Like, c- c- call me when you come within single digits of them and give them a really good game with a quarterback that signed with you less than a month earlier in a playoff game. Call me, call me when you do that, Dallas. But Dallas did not pull it off. As always, Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does, led a game-winning drive at the end, and they kicked a game-winning field goal to beat the Cowboys 31-29. Great way to kick off the 2021 season. Great game. Uh, Cowboys fans getting hyped up for nothing. Also great. Now... And Oh, and also a, uh, a questionable call that just happens to go in favor of Tom Brady that also, just like the NFL, never left. Um, and the call that I'm referring to is, of course, the no call where Chris Godwin looked like he pushed off of Cowboys defensive back Jordan Lewis, um, 
which of course would have been offensive pass interference on Chris Godwin and nullified the catch, but offensive pass interference was not called. And that was on like a third down play too, I believe. So that most likely would have cost Tampa Bay the game when they were trying to drive down and kick a field goal at the end. But uh, just like clockwork, a questionable call goes Tom Brady's way. And do I think that was offensive pass interference? I mean, even as a Washington fan, that looked a little sus to me. Chris Godwin pushing off of Jordan Lewis like that. People say, oh, Jordan Lewis tripped, this, that. It still looked. I still saw Chris Godwin's arm push Jordan Lewis out of the way so he could catch the ball. That kind of looked like offensive pass interference to me. But, you know, there were also a few questionable calls in Washington's playoff game against the Bucks last year that cost Washington that game. But I'm not, I'm... I would, I would be more upset if it happened to any other team than the Cowboys. But since it happened to the Cowboys, I'm not so upset. And speaking of Dak Prescott and his comeback debut, I feel bad for Dak Prescott because he was balling. Like, he threw the ball 58 times, which I guess his shoulder's fine. <laughs> they were making, if uh, Mike McCarthy was making him throw 58 times, although that's kind of been Mike McCarthy's coaching style, like pretty much while... <laughs> While he was in Green Bay, it was, hey, Aaron Rodgers, you go out and uh, run the offense and throw the ball a million times. I'm going to sit over here on the sidewalk and eat a, over here on the sideline and eat a Big Mac. But certainly having Dak throw it a bunch was, I guess if they felt like his shoulder was fine, then it was okay. Dak didn't look to be in any pain, but 58 times. Also threw for over 400 yards and three touchdowns. Dak had an amazing game, and they just couldn't pull it off in the end. Like, Dak, he was also, like, throwing dimes. Like, he was hitting Amari Cooper over here. He was hitting CeeDee Lamb over here. Like, Dak was very accurate last night. He was throwing dimes. You know, he threw two dime touchdown passes to Amari Cooper, which helped me out in fantasy. Like I said, 400 yards. And... The Cowboys' defense definitely could have played better against the Bucks, but the biggest um, reason why I think the Cowboys lost the game was, well, one, the refs at the end, but two was Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke had 11 carries for 33 yards. Keep in mind, the Cowboys took Zeke with the fourth overall pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, and gave him a massive extension a few years back. And if, and if you didn't think Zeke was overrated now, or you didn't think Zeke was overrated then, you got to believe Zeke's overrated now. I mean, he just completely did not show up at all. Like, I think we're going to have to file a missing persons case in the state of Texas. Where is Zeke Elliott? We don't know. He only had 33 yards last night. Dak Prescott had to carry the entire offense. And like I just said... You know, 400 yards, three TDs. That's a great game for Dak Prescott. You know, and I think that just goes to show how good of a quarterback Dak really is. People say Dak's overrated. He doesn't deserve the money. I mean, here's his numbers right here. Like, he 403 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, 72.4 completion percentage when he threw the ball 58 times. And then you have Zeke. 11 carries, 33 yards, not even a touchdown to make up for it. 
Zeke was horrendous. And if I was Dak Prescott, I would go in there and say something about it. I would rip that nose ring right out of Zeke's nose if I was Dak Prescott, and I had the game that I had last night, and Zeke had the game that he had last night. You know, like, like Dak played like a franchise quarterback last night. He absolutely tore up Tampa Bay's defense. And Zeke played like a seventh-round pick instead of a number four overall pick and guy who's worth all the money that they paid him. The Cowboys really know how to overpay people. At least Dak lives up to it somewhat. I don't think Dak's worth $40 million a year. But at least it wasn't a total waste, unlike Zeke's contract, because Zeke was horrible last night. Like, I don't want to hear Zeke being talked about as one of the top five, maybe top ten running backs in the league. It's like, if Zeke, if I see your name on another ten top ten list, I'm going to kill somebody. Because, like, you Zeke is not a top ten running back. Especially after last night. Like, I think I think some of the, some of the rookie running backs are going to have a better season than Zeke. And... You know, Dak and Zeke, their rookie year in 2016 were, like, unstoppable. Like, the Cowboys had the number one seed in the NFC playoffs that year because, like, Dak and Zeke were a one-two punch. And, like, that's when Dallas's offense works best, when Dak and Zeke are a one-two punch. Not when, not when you have just Dak doing the punching and Zeke getting 33 yards on 11 carries, averaging only three yards a carry. Now, yes, the Cowboys were missing their star guard, Zach Martin, and their starting right tackle, Lael Collins, is going to be out for a little bit. But still, Zeke could have done better than that. Like, there's running backs that put up better numbers that have worse offensive lines. Like, Washington's running back, Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson, Dallas is a better O-line than Washington, but Antonio Gibson probably would have had a better game last night than Zeke did. Just saying. But, um, yeah, the Cowboys, they should feel good about themselves because they played the defending champs at their house in a really close game. But uh, Zeke should be getting some flack for that. And now we move on to the other games this weekend. And I'll be predicting each one. So we're going to start with the Eagles and the Falcons. And a battle, this is, in my opinion, a battle of two teams who are going to finish last in their division. I don't think the, I think the Eagles are going to be last in the NFC East. I think the Falcons are going to be last in the NFC South. They traded away Julio Jones. I guess they still feel like wasting Matt Ryan's career because Matt Ryan is still there. And yes, they drafted Kyle Pitts. Yes, I think Kyle Pitts is going to be amazing this season. Like, I feel like Matt Ryan will have some decent games throwing the ball to Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. But they shipped Julio Jones off to the Titans. I don't even know of a single running back who's even on the Falcons. I don't know of a single running back that the Falcons have. Oh, wait, no, I do. They got Mike Davis from the Panthers, who was Christian McCaffrey's backup last year. That's it. I don't know anybody other than Mike Davis in terms of running backs on the Falcons. The Eagles, on the other hand, they also are a mess. They're a mess defensively. They're still trying to get Jalen Hurts to mesh with the offense. And we'll see if the Eagles picked the right receiver this time because here's the receiving core the Eagles could have if they knew how to draft. 
a few years back, the Eagles drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside with D.K. Metcalf still on the board. In 2020, they drafted Jalen Rager with Justin Jefferson still on the board. Now, I do like the Devontae Smith pick for them. I think he's going to be a good player. He was a beast. Bama literally won the Heisman Trophy last year. I think the Eagles got the pick right with Devontae Smith, but think about it. They could have Devontae Smith, Justin Jefferson, and DK Metcalf right now, which would just be ridiculous. But no, they have Justin Jefferson, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and Jalen Rager right now. And so I think this game's going to be a very sloppy game. Nothing really tells me that either of these two teams are going to be explosive. Um, I will give the slight edge to the Falcons because, yes, Jalen Hurts did start a few games for the Eagles last year, but this is going to be his his first full season as the starting quarterback in Philly. And it's also, it's a battle of two first-time head coaches, Nick Sirianni for the Eagles and Arthur Smith for the Falcons. And so we'll see which one of those two coaches gets their first win. I'm going to go with the Falcons in this one, simply because in games like this, especially in season openers, I'm going to, I trust Matt Ryan more than Jalen Hurts. I trust the Falcons offense more to get something done than I do the Eagles offense. Neither of these teams have a great defense either. So I think this game might be more high scoring than people think, but I'm going to go Falcons in this one. Next up, we have what could be a likely playoff game if the Steelers get it together is the Steelers taking on the Bills. Um, Last year, the Bills beat the Steelers after Juju danced on their logo. Hopefully Juju doesn't do that anymore this season. And I think this is most likely going to be Big Ben's final season as the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think in the NFL, I honestly think Big Ben's going to retire after this season. And the Steelers, the Steelers aren't going to be a bad team. Mike Tomlin will never let the Steelers be a bad team. I just think the rest of their division is catching up with them. I was going to say the Ravens and the Browns are both threats to the Steelers this year, although the Ravens have had a ton of injuries in key positions. Marcus Peters is out for the year. Uh, Gus Edwards is out for the year. So they brought in Le'Veon Bell and Latavius Murray. So we'll see how that goes for the Ravens. But I'd still think the Browns are the favorites to win the AFC North going into the season. And Buffalo is easily the favorites to win the AFC East. I'm going to go Bills in this one just because Pittsburgh has a really good defense. They just made sure they locked TJ Watt down long term. Um made him the highest paid defensive player in league history with the contract he signed earlier this week. And I'm still going to go Bills, though, just because of Josh Allen. And I do think, like, T.J. Watt and the Steelers' defense, they're going to get after him. But I just don't trust Big Ben to keep up with Josh Allen and the Bills' offense. Next up, we got the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. This one's easy. I'm going to go Vikings in this one because the Vikings have a halfway decent defense and the Bengals' offensive line is horrendous. Absolutely horrible. I mean, they might as well put five trash cans in front of Joe Burrow on Sunday. It's pretty much the same thing. You know, and even the receiver that they they went the the receiver that they drafted Jamar Chase that they foolishly drafted instead of Panay Sewell, he can't even catch COVID. I mean, watching him in the preseason, it's drop pass after drop pass after drop pass. I was watching the preseason game where the Bengals were playing Washington. 
Three targets, three drops for Jamar Chase. So you got a garbage offensive line that you could have made a little bit better by drafting Panay so well. But instead, you have a garbage offensive line and a receiver who can't catch COVID. So the Bengals are going to be a mess. Um, I'm not a very religious man, but still my heart, my thoughts and prayers are already going out to Joe Burrow, not only this Sunday, but for this whole season, because he's going to have no protection. I doubt he'll even make it through the season because he tore his ACL last season because his offensive line was also garbage last year, and the Bengals did absolutely jack to help him. And so I think the Vikings are going to walk all over Joe Burrow. Bengals defense isn't that much better. They got a little bit better, you know, with bringing in Trey Hendrickson, but I still think that offensive line is going to kill them all season long. So I'm going to go Vikings in this one. Next up, we got the 49ers taking on the Lions. Colin Cowherd made an interesting prediction today. He said that the Detroit Lions would upset the 49ers because people think Jared Goff is a lot worse than he actually is, and the Lions, the, the people know who the 49ers are. They don't really know who the Lions are. I don't see that. The Lions were, however, smart enough to draft Pene Sewell, unlike the Bengals, but I just don't see the Lions pulling an upset here. I mean, I think they're going to be a bottom feeder in the NFC this year. I mean, who the heck does Jared Goff have the ball to throw to? Amon Ross St. Brown? the receiver that they drafted out of USC. I mean, who else they have? Panay Wells good. Their offensive line is decent. DeAndre Swift is a great running back, but their defense is also not that great. You know, going up against George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Raheem Mostert in the 49ers offense, Debo Samuel, Jimmy G, who will probably be replaced by Trey Lance at some point. And yeah, I just think the Niners are way too well-rounded of a team to lose to the Lions. And we will be right back with the Red Zone after a quick public service announcement. Violence can happen to anyone, anywhere. It can include physical, emotional, and financial abuse, as well as sexual assault, harassment, and non-consensual touching. You are not alone. Southside Center for Violence Prevention offers counseling, advocacy, education, and safe emergency shelter. They empower survivors, help to create a community free from violence, and offer help to anyone affected by sexual or domestic violence, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, or culture. All services are free and confidential. Volunteer and financial assistance is always needed and welcome. Visit SCVP. C-A-R-E-S dot org for more information. Again, that's S-C-V-P-C-A-R-E-S dot org. You are listening to WMLU 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. Welcome back to the Red Zone, everybody. This is your host, Nick Robinson, and we're going to continue with our NFL Week 1 predictions. I, let's see, we just did the Lions and Niners. Next up, we got the Cardinals and the Titans. I think this game is going to be interesting. Let's see, Julio Jones is a Titan for the first time. Um, see, J.J. Watt and A.J. Green as the Cardinals for the first time. And I think it's going to be an interesting game. Both of these teams, I can see making the playoffs. 
I think it's going to be a high-scoring game with Kyler Murray and Derrick Henry. And I, I think it's going to take a little bit for Julio Jones to gel and connect with Ryan Tannehill. So you know what? I'm going to take the Cardinals on the road in a close one. Next up, we have the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz has been given the go-ahead and to start, and the Colts have a pretty good defense. But um, if there's one thing you don't mess with, it's Russell Wilson early in the season. I don't know what it is, but Russell Wilson always is the MVP frontrunner for at least the first half of the season, and then he falls off late in the season. But we're just getting started this season, so mean, which means Russell Wilson is going to be playing like the league MVP before he falls off later in the year. And I think that's the tiebreaker. I think both of these teams are pretty evenly matched. And the tiebreaker is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's habit of playing like the league MVP in the first half of the season. So I'm going to go Seahawks on the road in this one. Next up, you have the Los Angeles Chargers taking on the Washington football team. Um, I'm going to go with the, not not even being biased here. This is who I actually think is going to win. I'm going to go with the Washington football team in this one. It is Ryan Fitzpatrick's first game under center for them, but the Chargers' offensive line got a little better in the offseason. This is also Justin Herbert's first NFL game in front of a full crowd. Like I mentioned, or and also the same thing I mentioned with Oregon playing Ohio State, the Chargers are going to have to fly all the way across the country to the nation's capital to play Washington on Sunday with an early 1 o'clock start. So it's would be like the Chargers playing at 10 a.m. You know, they're just not used to that. But I'm going to go Washington in this one because I just don't think the Chargers are going to be able to protect Justin Herbert. I think Washington's defense is going to get after him, force him to make a few mistakes. And Herbert, well, I think will be, and it's a great quarterback this season, he might take a bit of a step back with having to fly across the country to play arguably the league's best defense behind a so-so offensive line and in front of a packed house for the first time in his career. Next up, we have the New York Jets taking on the Carolina Panthers. And I'm going to take the Panthers in this one because I think Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey will make an interesting combination. This is Sam Darnold's last chance to prove he can be a starter in this league. You know, after he was seeing ghosts with the Jets and they trade him to the Panthers and replaced him with Zach Wilson and it's pretty awkward having to play your ex-team right out of the gate. I mean, that's like that's like breaking up with a with a girl, and then the very next night you go to the club and she's there. Like, wow. All right, that's probably how it's going to feel for Sam Darrell going against the Jets right out of the gate in Week One. But the Jets, the Jets, they're going to be a bad team this year. We'll see if Zach Wilson can show promise, but I just think the Panthers are a more solid organization a more solid team on both sides of the ball so I'm going to go Carolina in this one next up we got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Houston Texans the winner of this game gets the golden trash can now he's not going to now Trevor Lawrence isn't used to losing from his high school and college career but unfortunately as a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars Trevor Lawrence will get used to losing this season um but I do think Trevor Lawrence will get the, will get a win in his first career NFL start just because the Jags are playing the worst team in football, the Houston Texans. I mean, the Texans were bad when Deshaun Watson was starting, and now 
he is not starting because he still wants to be traded. And there's also like 20, 25 sexual assault allegations against Deshaun Watson. So Tyrod Taylor has been the Texans quarterback all throughout training camp, and he'll be the Texans quarterback going into week one. And the Texans are just a dumpster fire on both sides of the ball. Not a single player on the Houston Texans jumps out to me as, wow, oh my God, they have that guy? No, not a single player on the Houston Texans wows me. And the Jags, they don't really have too many people that wow me either. Trevor Lawrence, I don't know if he wows me yet because he's still a rookie. But I think the Jags can eke out a win against the Houston Texans because the Texans are going to be the worst team in football this year. So Trevor will get a win in his first game. Next up, we got the Cleveland Browns taking on the Kansas City Chiefs rematch of last year's AFC Divisional round where the Browns could not take advantage of Patrick Mahomes being hurt and they let Chad Henney beat them. And I think that's going to sit with the Browns. You know, they're going to be like, ooh, like, they beat us last year. We couldn't take advantage of Mahomes being hurt. And I would say that the Browns would use that to propel themselves to a win, but the Browns do have a lot of new starters on defense that are going to have to learn how to mesh and play well together. And I don't think they'll have all that worked out in week one against the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Browns might be a Super Bowl contender by the time the season's over. I just think right now they got to learn how all those pieces on defense work together. So I'm going to go Chiefs. Next up, we got the Miami Dolphins taking on the New England Patriots. Battle of former Bama quarterbacks, Tua Tagovailoa versus Mac Jones. I don't know who I'm going to pick in this one, honestly. I mean... The Patriots got a lot better in the offseason, but the Dolphins the Dolphins have Tua, who has a year of experience under his belt, as opposed to a rookie in Mac Jones. But you know what? I'm going to go with old Mac and Cheese. I'm going to take the Patriots in this one because Bill Belichick is going to know how to take the pressure off of his rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, and put it on Tua Tagovailoa with all those starters the Patriots have coming back who sat out last season. Now, Brian Flores was a Bill Belichick understudy, and he might try to have an answer for his old coach, but Bill Belichick's understudies rarely have an answer for him. And I think Bill Belichick will outcoach Flores and lead the Patriots to a win. Next up, we got the Green Bay Packers taking on the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston's first full season as the starting QB of the Saints. Aaron Rodgers begins his last dance with the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go Packers in this one because I do think Jameis Winston's going to be a lot better this season. We're going to see an entirely new Jameis this year because Sean Payton's going to teach him how to play responsible. But I think he'll make a few mistakes against the Packers. The Packers are trying to make a Super Bowl run here because they know their chances of winning a Super Bowl are going to be shot after this year when Aaron Rodgers leaves in the offseason. So the Packers are going all or nothing right now. I'm picking Green Bay. Next up, we got the Broncos taking on the Giants. I'm going to go Giants in this one because Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really impress me as the quarterback of the Broncos. Um, Daniel Jones doesn't impress me either as the quarterback of the Giants, but the Giants definitely, in my opinion, have a better team, better offense. Their defense is, I also believe, slightly better than Denver's. That sounds sacrilegious considering how good Denver's defense was a few years ago, but I think the Giants will overcome the Broncos in a close one. The teams are kind of strikingly similar. Their defenses are pretty good. They have good skill players on offense, mediocre at best quarterbacks in Daniel Jones and Teddy Bridgewater. 
But I think Bridgewater might be a little more responsible than Drew Locke and just manage the game, manage the offense. So the Broncos might not be as bad as people think this year, but I think the Giants are going to win this in a close one. You got the Sunday night game, the Chicago Bears taking on the L.A. Rams. Uh, this is just a throwaway season for the Bears. They're buying their time for Aaron Rodgers to leave, and then they will unleash Justin Fields on the world and probably win the NFC North next season. But I think this season, um, Andy Dalton is going to start for a few weeks, and they're going to throw Justin Fields out there. He'll have some growing pains as a rookie and be ready to roll by next year. The Rams, on the other hand, they are in win-now mode, and so I'm going to go Rams in this one. And lastly, we have the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. The Ravens have had a lot of injuries this year, already before the season even started. So I think the Raiders actually have a chance in this one. We'll see how Lamar Jackson messes you know, with his new players. The receiving core is also a little banged up. So the Ravens would win if they were healthy, but they're not healthy right now. So in a close one, I'm actually going to take the Raiders at home against Baltimore. I think Derek Carr and the Raiders will get the uh, will get the offense going against the Ravens, who, like I said, have been attacked mercilessly by the injury bug. I mean, if you look at the Ravens, like Gus, like J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, their two starting running backs tore their ACLs. So one of their starting corners, Marcus Peters, tore his ACL. Um, their first-round pick, receiver Rashad Bateman, he is uh, he's banged up too. He might play, but he's got a groin injury. So for that reason, I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. And now to close out the show, I don't think we can go without mentioning what tomorrow is. One of the main reasons that people watch sports is as a distraction from world events and to come together in the face of tragedy. Face it, we all got a little emotional when the Astros, even though they cheated, won the World Series after Hurricane Harvey devastated Houston in 2017. Or when David Ortiz gave a speech before a Red Sox game, I'd play it if David Ortiz didn't say a no-no word during the speech and if I wouldn't get copyrighted. But we all got emotional, too, when he gave that speech before a Red Sox game following the Boston Marathon bombing. With tomorrow being the 20th anniversary of the worst terrorist attack in American history, I think it's appropriate to talk about the moment everyone was watching in the months following 9-11. I was not old enough to remember the time when George W. Bush threw out the first pitch in Game 3 of the 2001 World Series, but I heard the story and was moved. That moment showed that despite everything, the American spirit was unbreakable, and it was a nice distraction from the pain that everyone, especially New Yorkers, were feeling. I'm sure a good many of you listening remember right where you were on that day, and even if you were too young to remember it like me, or weren't alive when it happened, take a moment tomorrow to reflect on how that day changed the world, and thank any first responder or member of the military that you know or happen to come in contact with tomorrow. It can be easy to feel depressed on a day like tomorrow when you think of how terrible the event was, but the Red Zone is a glass-half-full type of program. 
Be thankful that you live in a nation that has taken everything the world has thrown at it and still stands tall. America won Comeback Player of the Year that year and would go on to win the MVP. We as Americans are unfortunately programmed to believe that we are on different teams and in order to win, other Americans have to lose. That's a lie. We are all on the same team and tomorrow be sure to rock the team colors, red, white, and blue, because this team is destined for greatness. The Red Zone will be back same time next week. Be sure to tune in to NPR after me. Have a good night, everyone, and God bless the United States of America. Don't stop, Billy.